there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I'm super duper excited to be here today. We've got a very exciting guest for you who is uh, actually one of the top three marketers on LinkedIn, uh, recognized in 2020 as one of the top 10 SaaS branding experts. Uh, one of the founding members are heavily involved in the peak community, uh, among other communities like this guy's just everywhere. He's a content machine. He is an amazing speaker. Like he, he's got his LinkedIn. You should check out his LinkedIn profile. It's like fully, fully optimized, like to the hills. Um, but has won many, many awards for content creation as well as speaking. And really, at the end of the day, uh, he's an amazing marketer. He. Uh, helps businesses drive measurable results uh, primarily through social. He is currently chief marketing officer at Agora Pulse, which is an exciting uh, outfit out of France, actually, I learned, um, that I'm excited to talk about. But ladies and gentlemen, welcome Daryl Prale to the show. My friend, thank you so much for having me here. I am just delighted, thrilled, tickled, and excited that I, that I, I and you know, throw any more adjectives in there you want to, but I genuinely... I'm excited. Let's I do this it. today. You have an awesome camera presence. Um, are you, is your background in uh, TV or film? Like, have you been in broadcasting or anything like that? Uh, so funny you ask that. So no, I don't, I, I'm a computer programmer by trade. If you go back really? way back when, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I did have my own agency, my own marketing agency for 10 years. And we just made a boatload of money doing podcasts, video, live streams. But why it's so funny is because my son, who's now 28 years old, who said there was no way in hell he was ever going to follow me in my footsteps. Uh, he is a network television news anchor. So I like to tell him that the only reason he's there is because of, of, uh, of my influence on him. And without me, he's nothing. And it's amazing how he, he rejects that. It's weird how that is, but there you go. <laughs> nice. Well, Daryl, let's cut right to the chase. You know, our audience loves secrets. We're all about those secrets. Tell us what's one of the best kept, one of your best kept secrets to marketing success. Like how are you winning over and over again? Okay. So here we go. Organizational culture, team culture is absolutely everything. And if you do not get that right from the beginning, then you are destined for failure. That's how I've had success. I've learned that the hard way, which means there were failures before there were success. You never understand the power of the team. Individuals can make you successful and individuals can poison the well and bring everybody else down. Yeah. There's lots there's lots of conversations around this, you know, if you look at uh the book Friction and it talks about the enterprise operating system. It asks some core questions around people such as do is this the right person in the right seat? That's a cliche, but it's so true. Do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? These are all aspects you need to understand about building the team. And at the end of the day, for you as a leader to build that team, to have the success you want, because you are only as good as your weakest link, means that you yourself need to be a rock star in communication. You need to hold your team accountable. And if they do not achieve those expectations that you're holding them accountable to, then there needs to be consequences. You cannot delay and keep hoping that they will eventually figure it out because the more they delay, the more you're telling the rest of the team that it's okay to miss those goals. Yeah. And then you need to, you need to reward them with career development, progression, skills, capabilities. And you do that, that builds loyalty. And if you do all of that, you will be successful. But here's the caveat. They never, ever teach you the skills to do that as you grow through your career, you grow through your career being a tactician, being someone who can execute. 
But the minute you're in leadership, it's a completely different set of skills. So if you yourself aspire for this, or you find yourself struggling with this, it's likely that you've not developed your own skills and you got to develop your own skills before you can lead a team to success. Brilliant. Love it. There's a lot to unpack there. It is a very common, uh, topic. You know, people are always talking about culture, each strategy for breakfast kind of, uh, things. Uh, you seem to really know a thing or two about it. I feel like people pay a lot of lip service to the culture thing, but it, from the way that you're speaking, I can tell that you've sort of been there, done that. I would love it if you could tell us, cause you'd said that you'd failed in the past and that's probably like <laughs> kind of how, Yeah. but I'd love if you could tell us like what the failure story looked like, sort of what you learned and then what excellent looks like in your mind. So I failed on more than one occasion. I failed my, my friend, I have failed so many times. It's like, I should get like an award. I may be the top three marketer, but I'm like the number one failure and how I still have a job. I do not know because of that. Thankfully I'm surrounded by leaders who have given me grace, which is of course what we want to do to our own employees. So what have I, the mistakes I have made, the, there's probably a couple of mistakes I've made and I can give you story after story of it, but it, the recurring theme is this one. I did not adequately communicate my expectations to the employee in a way that was measurable and, and, and trackable for lack of a better way. So in other words, if I were to say something like, I need you to um, uh, increase our market share in this industry by 20%. And the end of the year comes by or what have you, and it's time for a bonus maybe. And what happens is you say, okay, uh, you didn't do it. They say, yes, I did. And all of a sudden you start to realize what it was, was I, I might've been looking at it from maybe customers. They could be looking at it from revenue. They could be looking at it from impressions just in, in, you know, in the noise. And all of a sudden you have this disconnect and you say, well, I'm sorry, I was viewing it from customers. Therefore you don't get your bonus. Then that creates negative, uh, a, a negative re response, which then means their performance drops. And all of a sudden you, and then the other employees like, well, you screwed so-and-so out of their bonus and they did awesome. And then you, then you have a team revolt on you and you go, shit. And it was all because I wasn't clear on what success looks like in their job and how that's measured. And I didn't yeah. get them to sign off on it. That's the first part. The second part, when you define what success looks like as far as key deliverables and metrics, then you can hold them accountable to it. And this is the second mistake I made over and over again. As I say to friends, in my 30s, I made this mistake. In my 50s, I don't make this mistake. And the mistake is this. It's like, think about it from a sales point of view, but it's equally applicable to marketing. If I say to a sales rep, this is the quota you need to hit. And I say, you've got two quarters to hit it. First quarter is a ramp up. Second quarter is the actual execution. If you don't hit it, then I should let you go and say, you underperformed our expectations. I'm going to replace you. Same goes to marketing. You need to generate X number of leads if that's their role, they're in demand generation, or you need to have X number of uh, stories in the press, if that's what you're doing, or you need to grow our social media presence, followers, like shares by, you know, X, whatever you pick your thing, give them a timeline, one quarter, two quarter, whatever it be. There's a point halfway through that when you can measure it, you can say, let's have a sanity check. How you doing? If it's not happening, you need to put in corrective behaviors. Cause if you don't and rely upon them to do it, you soon learn that was a mistake because they don't have the life skills and the experience to correct. Cause if they had those life skills and experience, they wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. And then when that timeline comes and they didn't hit it, now you're at a moment of what do I do as a leader? And what I tended to do in my thirties was I'd give them another couple months. I give them another couple quarters. And then also before you know it, it's been a year, it's been a year and a half and, and nothing's changed. And you really wanted it for them. And I started to realize in my thirties that I wanted it more than they wanted it. But what's really important here to understand is at this point in time, a year or a year and a half have gone by and you are so far behind on your deliverable that it reflects back upon you as a leader. And even if you replace that person tomorrow, the next person is going to need another two quarters to get up to speed, which means you'll be two years behind and chances are you're going to be fired. It affects the team. It affects the morale. If I don't hold that person accountable, the rest of the team starts to realize they're not being held accountable. So they start blowing it. 
So the whole point I learned in the holding people accountable thing is to set clear expectations, to set clear deadlines, and if necessary, cut bait sooner rather than later. So now when I eventually let people go for performance reasons, it's not a knock against them. As I say to them, you're just not a good fit here. You may be a good, great fit somewhere else, but based on how we're measured, based on how we perform, based on how I'm measured, based on how the board looks at us, this isn't working out. That does a couple of things. That tells the rest of the organization that you're very serious. That tells the rest of your team that there's consequences if they do not perform. And what the thing that blew my mind the most when I started doing this was how many of my team started coming out of the woodwork and saying, I'm so glad you did that because that person was pulling us all back. They were whining behind their scenes. They felt like a victim. And because you did that, I now know that you're building a high-performance team and I want to be part of a high-performance team. And boom, you've now created the culture that you want, a culture of accountability, a culture of clear communication, a culture of clear expectations, and a culture of high performance. That's what you want. So there we go. That's my story. Well, I've got, uh, there's a lot to unpack there and I've got a couple of specific, maybe two micro questions. Do it. Um, what about in the scenario where, so in sales is pretty easy. It's like, Hey, here's this metric. Mm-hmm. What about in a scenario where there's a lot of little things that you expect, right? So like, let's take it from an agency uh, perspective. Sure. Like we have Google ads buyers say like they specialize in Google ads. They work on client accounts. They're doing, you know, everything, the campaign building, structuring, all these things uh, related to Google ads. And their job ultimately is to get higher quality leads at a lower cost per lead in most cases, yep. right? Yep. Um, and there's a lot of different things that go into that, but like it's also important, like like an element of that that's important is having your campaign naming conventions like tight so that the data feeds into CRM properly so that you can, you know, attribute it back down funnel, right? So in a world where like, and that's just one example, there's probably a hundred little things that we expect our Google ads buyers to do. So in a world where there's a lot of small expectations, how do you handle that? Or is it just the one big metric that you're really focused on in every case? No. No. So our job as leaders is, is, is to map, is to translate how those, those small um, often seeming inconsequential elements of your daily job impact the uh, the organization and the organization's goal. So this is a conversation I have all the time, especially since I've become CMO at Gorapol. So I'll answer your question, but I'll tell a story first that ties back to your question. And if I talk too much, just interrupt me and tell me to shut up. And... Um, no, I'm enjoying this. No. I'm actually learning here. This is great. Okay. This is great. So the biggest thing, for example, uh, this is uh, I, my first day in the job. Uh, I've been here just over a year. I end up going to this show. It's called Social Media Marketing World. It's the biggest social media show in the industry. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in San Diego every year. Beautiful San Diego. So I show up day one. I'm meeting some of my employees. But as you said, the company's out of France. So not everybody's there. And, and I'm checking out the crowd, checking out the audience, you know, thousands of people there at a live event. And, uh, and it was really interesting because what I, I went to one of the sessions and there was a massive auditorium and everybody's in there. And there's this guy speaking to a room full of marketers and, and he starts talking about, uh, whatever topic he's talking about, he, he, what was important to set up his conversation was the conversation around UTM, UTM, uh, uh, parameters. And he starts to define, explain what a UTM parameter is. Me being the new guy, I was taken under the wing by one of our clients who happened to be there, sweet woman. And I turned to her who was with me in this conference. And I said, why the hell is this guy talking to a room full of marketers about UTMs? Surely to goodness, if there's an audience that understands what UTMs are, it's this room here right now. And she turned to me and she said, Daryl, I know why you think that. But I can guarantee for you that the vast majority of this room have no idea what UTMs are. And I was shocked. 
How could that be? How could you be in marketing and not understand the importance of physically tracking your results? What I came to learn was she was right. That was pervasive. The vast majority of social media people, agency people, the practitioners, do you not know what a UTM is? What they know is, is you know, whether if they're doing organic, they know so they know likes and shares, vanity metrics. And if they're doing paid, they know conversions, right? What I've had to do with that audience is I've had to over and over um, coach them. So for example, one of the things we learned about our audience as I was getting to know my, my buyer was that they all feel undervalued. They feel like they don't get respect in the marketing organization. They feel like, they, they're not consulted for their input. They feel like they're disposable, that they can just be replaced by somebody else. Uh, and they feel like they have no career path. And so, as you might imagine, that's heartbreaking for me as a leader that you feel that way. But I understand why you feel that way because I see it myself. I see, and I'm guilty of treating that person in that role. And whether it's an agency or a team doing you know Google ads, it's the same function and they don't feel valued. And so what I started talking to them was I said, how do you determine, how do you measure your success? And what was always interesting when I had a conversation with them, they look at you like they've, no one's ever asked them that before. And I'm like, no, literally, how do you know if you're making an impact? How do you go home feeling good at the end of the day that you made a difference? And sometimes they'll say, well, you know, I generated, you know, 10 leads on my paid ads, or I got, you know, one of my uh, posts, my, my organic posts went viral and I got like a hundred comments. I'm great. I said, okay, so this is the coaching I give them. Your CMO doesn't care about any of that. And you see them go, what do you mean? Like they're, that this is a, a shocker, shocker to them. I said, let me help you understand how a CMO works. And this, I will tie it back to your statement here shortly, but this is, this is the bridge part that's so important to help answer your question. I said, your CMO every year goes hat in hand to the bean counters and says, can I have some budget, please? And can I have some headcount, please? And they say, okay, we'll give you budget. We'll give you headcount, but we expect a return on our investment. And by the way, if you do well, we will give you more money, but we're going to hold that money back until we, you prove to us that you can be a good steward of our money and get a, generate a positive return. I said, so the CMO doesn't care about your likes and your follows, doesn't care that you generate 10 leads. What they care about is how many of those you know, likes and follows then signed up to learn more about your product or your service and became a paying customer. How many of those 10 paid lead conversions became a paying customer? Your CMO wants to know how you impacted the company's bottom line because that's how the company is measured. That's what they talk about the leadership team. That's what they talk about the board level. That's what the shareholders want. What did I get? Did we grow? Likes and follows or 10 new leads are irrelevant. They care about how it maps to achieving the company goal of a revenue target. And I can guarantee every agency, because I talked to all the agency owners out there, they all have the following goals. They have a goal of, I want to achieve X revenue growth, X percent. I want to get Y new customers. I want to reduce my client churn by whatever percentage, because I, I hate finding new customers. I want to maximize the time that my employees can do stuff because then my cost of sales, my cost of support goes down, my margins go up. Yep. I said, Mr. You know, Mr. Organic Social Media Person, Ms. Paid Ads Expert, do you know what churn is? Do you know, you know what margin is? Because that's how they're measuring it. And that's why you have a salary because they're investing in you to generate that goal. And once you explain that, they go, oh, so I so said, you really want to make an impact. Tell your boss how, or tell your customer, if you're an agency, how many of those leads we generated for you on Google ads resulted in revenue. How much revenue do we drive for your new customers? Whatever their corporate goals are. I said, yeah. that's what they care about. So to answer your question in a nutshell, you got to start with explaining the why. Why are we doing this? And how does what your piece of the pie do to influence that. Because once you do that, they stop feeling undervalued. They understand that they are a key cog in the wheel and they puff their chests out and they want to do more of that. And they want to go the extra mile because they're making a difference. The second thing is you to help them achieve that, you have to reward them. And this is the communication part up front with what do I expect? So 
I expect that you're going to generate 10 conversions under this price point on paid media that result in this much revenue. I expect you're going to talk to the customer once a week. I expect you're going to give me a status report on what's working and what's not, and what's your recommendation once a week. I expect you're going to make uh, you're going to make proactive proposals to go maybe beyond the scope of the engagement, maybe spend more money and, and give me the opportunity to physically, if you went beyond and spent more money, this is what we could do for you, even if they say no. Um, and I expect you're going to obviously proactively communicate when there's a fire. Those are all things I can measure. I can measure how many meetings we have. I can measure how many proactive proposals they've made. I can measure how much revenue they've driven. Because then I, as the agency owner, can then go back and say, look, we drove this many leads, which resulted in this much revenue. We charged you this much for our fees and we get we gave you a 3X or a 10X return on that investment. Give us more business. They give us more business. I go back to those same people and I say, remember you had a you know 50,000 a month on the Google paid and I get 100,000 a month because of the impact you had. And by the way, here's a Christmas bonus because the client didn't churn. So it's helping them understand the business. Long story yeah. short, so it's that's like, the answer. Help them understand the why, fill exactly. in their skills gaps, like where they exist or their life Nailed skills it. gaps. Um, and yeah, like it doesn't need to be all just one big metric. I mean, if there's a if there's a hundred little things, maybe you don't keep a hundred things on the list, but you can have five, 10, 15 different things on the list. You're an EOS guy, I take it. You're I, I can go EOS, I can go OKRs, I can do whatever you want to do. Nice. I, I'm old enough to have done both. So yeah, they get it one at capacity. So I yeah, love I like that. that. And I'll I'll drop one thing for the audience that um because we we run on EOS. So mm-hmm. we've got our core values all mapped out. We've got um uh, and we basically evaluate people by those core values using the people analyzer tool. Yep. Um and we, oh, we started doing you. this probably like two years ago or so. Uh, but it's been really, really effective. And and I think having those conversations is key. And those conversations are hard to have. Like, it's really easy. I'm positive that many of the people listening are of the like, oh, you know, let's just give it a couple more months. You know, like, let's just give it. A, and then like that resonates with me because we've done that many times. But we're proactively like forcing ourselves basically to have those difficult combos. Um and and it's very effective when doing so. What I but, love about EOS to that point, because it kind of goes back to this conversation we're having here about setting expectations, is EOS, for those who haven't read it, I mean, the book is called Friction. You want to read it, go check it out. Yeah. But EOS or Enterprise Operating System is, is the framework. Um, it's, 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 there's six pies, you know, people, data, processes, et cetera. And, uh, but it, what it does, a couple of things, especially rolled out through the company, is, is the big rocks, right? So what the are the rocks. big rocks? And what are the issues affecting us from doing this? And then what's the data that we use to actually track all yeah, this? Yeah, everybody gets start, a number, at least one every, number everybody yes. has. When you um, start rolling that out, all of a sudden that person who's doing the paid media or the organic social, they start to understand how their big rocks affect the other big rocks, right? Yeah. Um, and they have a chance to voice their concern about the issues. Yeah. So, but the big thing is, it's all going to be measurable. In the end, you got to measure. You know, I see this over and over again. You know, the, we open up by saying this, where and the expectations are just not are poorly defined and open to yeah. interpretation. That conflict will just poison an organization. So, EOS is, is a great framework. But I pick a framework it, yeah. is all I would and say. Pick any framework. Just be intentional. Well, so uh, we had a client that was running on EOS. And our status meetings with them, they would run them as L10s. So that's how we got exposed to EOS first. But I'd also read the Rockefeller Habits. Um, We did our best to sort of cobble it together for a little while. Then we, uh, and it worked to an extent, but the ropes would fray over time. We hired an implementer to actually like, you know, when you hire a consultant, like it gets serious. But um, if you're listening to this right now and like if if you were like we were where our vision like we would talk about it you know but it wasn't written down really anywhere in a succinct area um the vision like they have this tool the vto where you lay out all the yep. core values you lay out the vision you lay out the the target market the go to market strategy uh, uh the the bag if you will 
And it's just yep. this really neat one-page document. But I highly recommend like for marketing teams internally, even a smaller team at a bigger company, like you can totally spin up a little instance of EOS just with your own marketing team. You know what, what I, I mean? love about I love there's so many elements I love about it. I hate the EOS name, the enterprise operating system. I just find obnoxious as it's a marketer. Entrepreneurial, I thought. Entrepreneurial is operating it, system. Is, is it? it is. Okay, you may be right. Either way, it's, I still find it obnoxious. I don't know an operating system. But anyway, that's just me. That's my hang up, not yours. Um, is the whole idea of the accountability chart too? So the accountability chart for those who are listening, it, it's it's really it it defines what is this individual accountable. Four. And then all your peers sit back and say, do we agree? No, that's the get it, want it capacity element. Does yeah. that person get it? Do they, are they, and, and then they, the other element of that is the people where they say, is this the right person in the right seat mm-hmm. to be accountable for this? Right. And I, you yeah. know, I've had, that's what is interesting about EOS is it creates a common vocabulary for you to talk about amongst your own community. I remember talking to my CEO at one point about an in, individual on my team that I didn't think was working out. And I thought they were having a detrimental effect on the rest of the team. And my CEO said, well, why is that, Daryl? Because if you look at their results, they're actually, they're actually doing really well. You know, for example, generating a lot of leads. And uh, I said, I think it's the right person in the wrong seat. In other words, this person is an entrepreneur. This person wants to, you can see they want to do a startup or they want to be the CMO. And that's not their role. They're in the wrong seat. And when I said that, all of a sudden he went, oh, I get it. So I said, you know, you just, it's, but it's a great conversation and it's interesting, right? Cause they start off with values, which goes right back to, we talk about here in organizational culture. And to your point, a lot of people talk about this and you don't get it. And I don't think you get it or you give it platitudes until you live it. And the best way I can say this to people is, is the following. Have you ever made a bad hire? And if so, how did that impact your life and how did that disrupt your team? Have you ever had a hire who uh, just never seemed to get the job done uh, despite you thought you did the checks on them, did the, the background checks? You, maybe you did a third-party psych test, but they just don't get the job done. How does that affect you? How does it affect your, your credibility in the, in the organization? How does it affect your team and the people that rely on this person? Have you ever felt like you're giving everything to these people and they're just not grateful and they want more. No matter what you do, there's drama going on in your team. If you're feeling drama, the rest of your team is feeling drama. Is that a happy place to work? If it's not a happy place to work and it's not, people work less hard. They're not loyal. They they punch a clock and they do the bare minimum. They quiet quit. Um, you have turnover. It, this These are all the issues that impact your culture. You get the culture right, though. It's a high-performing team. It's a great place to work. They'll go the extra mile when you need them to. And you just, you kick ass. And you feel good about yourself. And then you get pay raises. And then you get recruiters calling you. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're hanging out with this guy on his show. And you're a rock star. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody listening probably has had that feeling. as well as the opposite feeling where when you hire somebody and they're just amazing, like right off the bat, yes. just like killing it, exceeding expectations. It's such a sharp contrast sometimes. And it and it underscores the importance. Like our EOS implementer, every time we see him, he's like, RPRS, right people, right seats. Like once right. you get 100% right people, right seats, like everything becomes easier. Your whole yes. life like your the quality of life increases dramatically, you know? Yes. And that's the thing, right? We spend the vast majority of our days working, right? And, uh, that's why we all work for the weekend. If I would rather be someplace where I have fun and I feel like we're 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 changing the world together, whatever that journey might be. Um, totally. Well, so hey, um, there you go. Time is flying. We're having fun. Let's talk about Agora Pulse a little bit. I'm curious. Sure. Um, well, I mean, just tell us like uh what it is first and foremost but i'm curious about your your marketing strategy and your team and what you got going on over there marketing wise i can tell you all that all right so agora pulse this is where you t- see if i'm a good marketer or not what's my pitch right here we go agora yeah. pulse is a social media management platform uh and then i'll stop right there boom most marketers know what that is but for those who are still not sure uh but you understand tech stacks 
I would tell you that we would compete with vendors like Hootsuite or Sprout Social. Yeah. The basic the basic premise is is the following, and then I'll tell you about my team. Uh, if you look at Gartner Research, if you look at HubSpot Research, you look at most researchers. When you ask marketing leaders who use a variety of channels, maybe it's paid, maybe it's organic, maybe it's email, maybe it's events, maybe it's something else, a content. What is your number one go-to-market channel across the board? It's social media. Well, why is that? The reason it is is because everything we do takes place some way shape or form on social media. Running a webinar, you're promoting it in social media. Had a webinar, you're doing digital confetti video clips afterwards on social media to drive more awareness and leads. Got a great ebook, promoting it on social media. Got a got a, a, an event you're going to? Like new uh, product launch, first, yeah. Doing a product launch, you know, it's all bloody social media. Starting a podcast, right? <laughs> Starting a podcast, you got to get a big ass base, social media. You want to get more audience than what your current contact database has. You partner up some influencers and you go on social media. So it's social media. It's number one. That's actually the number one reason I went to Agora Pulse for my last gig was I'm like, hey, in a down economy, and I could, because I could see the economy coming. What what always lives? Well, the CRM doesn't get shut off. The financial system, got to pay the bills, got to do the books. It doesn't get shut off. Social media doesn't get shut off because that's the lifeline for marketers. So, the, so but the problem is as a marketer, you know, we can go natively by, I mean, native, I mean, I can log into Facebook. I can log into Twitter. I can log into LinkedIn, but that becomes a pain in the ass, especially when yeah. I'm doing all these different pieces of content, right? So Agorapulse is simply a platform that allows you to log in once, post, schedule, all of your content, days, weeks, months in advance. You can, if you're an agency, you can actually do that on behalf of every single one of your clients. They can collaborate on the content. They can edit the posts. They can approve oh, the schedules. Cool. It's yeah, it looks like Plus, you got some listening uh, in there yeah, too. That's where I was just going. All You can listen for certain topics or certain individuals. And every time somebody responds to one of your posts, whether it be an organic post or a paid post, uh, it comes into your inbox and you can instantly respond to it and see the whole thread and have contact. So if you're doing paid, by the way, everybody knows I'm paid. Most people suck at monitoring. Most vendors suck at monitoring the comments, for, but they put all this money in paid. And often what's happening is, hey, I really like that pair of shoes you're promoting, but does it come in red instead of green? Or you know, do you have a a version of your software for SMBs as opposed to enterprise. And if you respond, you say, yes, we have that. It is available in red. Here's a link to the red version. Boom, close sale. If you don't respond, you don't get the sale. So one inbox, listening, all that wonderful stuff. That's what we do. We'll stop. Yeah, nice. To answer your question, what are we doing? Well, I'll tell you what we've been doing since I arrived. Historically, the company... You know, we would uh, we've been a hundred percent inbound model. It's all it's SEO, it's word of mouth, it's paid, it's all the stuff you would expect. And historically, we would drive people to a free trial model. They sign up on a free trial. Life is good. Bob's your uncle. We've had great growth. Never lost money. Never had any layoffs. God bless social media. The problem is, some of my competitors, you know, like Sprout Social, just did a quarterly earnings announcement. And they, you know, they, they're killing it with sixty plus million a quarter. We're not making sixty million a quarter. How do I do that? Classic marketing example. How do I hit massive growth? And so what we're doing is a couple of things that are of note of my marketing and sales side. Uh, one, we're going hard now to the CMO audience because most CMOs treat social media as an afterthought. I laugh. I'll do a lot of public speaking and I'll say, how many CMOs here treat marketers like the comms function where you do a press release once in a while, but you have zero expectations and you really don't care. And they all laugh and they all put their hand up. So it's getting in front of them and teaching them the importance of social media. It's teaching them that social media needs to be measured. So we're hammering how to measure it and prove your ROI so you can get more budget and more staff to do more social media. Um, so mm -hmm. a lot of so a lot of CMO getting big time involved in the CMO communities, getting big time involved in the CMO events, uh, working with a whole bunch of influencers that the CMO communities would understand. So that's we're doing that. The second thing we're doing is we're transitioning the company from inbound to outbound to get higher deal sizes, get better customers, bigger contract values, lower churn. And to support that, we're building a complete SDR organization within marketing. So mm -hmm. there you go. Those are some of the things that we're doing. Um, and it's having a profound impact. We're seeing 
much bigger buyer communities, much bigger deal sizes. Um, but we're still doing a lot of education with CMOs to say, you got to stop ignoring social media and treating it as an afterthought. And yeah. the biggest the biggest problem people have there is they, they the CMOs just don't know how to do it. They don't know the idea of having, you know, corporate creators, I like to call them, mouthpieces for the company, because people buy from people, not from companies. Yeah. Um, they don't they don't know the content rhythm, they don't know the engagement rhythm. Uh, they're just lost. So tell, tell me a little bit more about the uh the SDR org within marketing. That sounds interesting. Sure. What do you want to know? Well, I mean, what's uh how's that different in your mind than the SDR org not being inside of the marketing org? Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, isn't that the, the the golden question? So in in some regards, in some ways, it's not. Um, but what we want is we want the sales organization focusing on quality leads. That's the bottom line, right? We want, we do not want them chasing spending because from a business point of view, folks, if if you don't have a sales background, a sales rep is an expensive employee, just so you understand that, especially with the variable compensation component, they're an expensive employee. They're in demand. You can't get enough quality reps. So the prices have gone through the roof. Um, so if knowing that they're an expensive employee, you want to make sure that every lead you send that sales rep is highly qualified, has a high chance of converting into a sale. You do not want that sales rep calling, you know, all 200 people who attended your webinar yesterday, because yeah. chances are 198 of them are just there for education and have no plans to buy. That's a waste of time. So let the sales reps focus on selling. Let their own organization, their sales enablement peeps, teach them how to do objection handling, teach them how to do multi-thread an account, all that wonderful stuff. On this, on the marketing side, though, we're the ones actually generating. We, we both capture demand. SEO is a good example of that. And we generate demand coming on shows like this. Now, you all know about Agora Pulse. You're checking it out. We're multitasking here. Um, and what we want to do is we want all those leads that come in we want the SDRs when they're unqualified to physically be the ones who follow up with them. So where where there's where there's similarities between whether it's in the sales team or the marketing team is what the SDRs do. The SDRs typically aren't following up on leads. They were follow up on the leads that are deemed not sales ready. They would follow up on free trials that never converted. They would follow up on deals we lost and maybe six months later and say, how's it going? They would they would do the post-event follow-up. They would go to all my freemium users and say, you should upgrade. Uh, mm-hmm. They would be the ones who would follow up on email campaigns we're trying to do competitor steals and say, hey, did you see that you're a Sprout social user? We have a special on right now. Did you want to talk about that? And then they would qualify them because demand gen is all about creating qualified. We have a lead score. We can do a, a little bit of, of scoring. And then the SCR does much the next level of qualification. What we do not do is we do not do demos. We do the qualification that says, this is truly sales ready. Flip it over the wall, sales over to you. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. think of it this way. Marketing handles qualification. Sales closes the, the qualified deals. I see. I thought you were going to say that like every SDR like would have to post on LinkedIn and like document their journey or like create content <laughs> on LinkedIn no. and then like generate the leads that way. Well, social selling is an element of it, right? So if I've got a lead that's came in, come in, I'm going to do multi-channel outreach. So I'm going to, I'm going to reach out on the phone. I'm going to reach out on email and I'm going to go on LinkedIn and say, Hey, it's me trying to annoy you to get in front of you so we can have a conversation. Yeah. And so there will be sequences. You need nine to 12 touches typically before you physically get a response from somebody. So that will be there. We do want our people on LinkedIn, if possible, posting content. Cause what always happens is if I were to ping you and you don't know who the hell I am, the first thing you do is you go to LinkedIn and you say, who the hell is this person? Yeah. And we want, we want their posting activity to show that they have some familiarity with the industry and that they're worthy of a response because it's per, the perception is they can maybe add value and provide some insights to my job that I could benefit from. So there is that element, but we don't need them to become Sarah Braziers or uh, Morgan Ingrams or those kind of people who are prolific or Will Aiken who are prolific on LinkedIn and are, are, have become influencers themselves. Yeah, there's this, um, my buddy G, who's also French, real smooth uh, kind of French brother, um, owns Lemlist, which is uh, yes. like a, yeah, and he... Yep. 
is like one of the most brilliant marketers I've ever met, but he was the one that I saw that I think pretty much everybody that works for him, like one of his, one of the expectations on his list is like, everybody must post daily on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, and he was, he came on the pod actually a while back and it was like a really amazing episode where he like laid out the whole framework and structure and kind of how he does it. But they are just killing it on organic LinkedIn right now, man. Like, yes, G has gotten and, to the point where he gets like thousands of engagements on every post he does. And that's the thing. Once you get there, you're a rock star. But the reality is, if I were to look back at, at your your buddy G, he he's getting thousands of posts. I would, without knowing his whole team, I would guess the balance of his team, while they may be on LinkedIn, you know, they're not having anywhere near the success that he's having because he's built up his reputation over time. Totally. Yeah. Um, but it's still right? pretty it's like, impressive. Like some of, some of his oh, team huge. members are still getting, you know, pretty impressive. And as, because when you buy LinkedIn ads, they're some of the most expensive ads on the market from a CPM. They're outrageously expensive. Yeah. So like the fact that you can get impressions, like similarly high quality impressions for free, and like you get a See, lot of impressions, you know, like, like pretty much anytime you post, like you're going to get at least probably like a couple, like a thousand or a couple thousand. But even if it's just like a hundred or 150, it's like free, free impressions. It's, it's free impressions. It's, it's, and what people don't understand because they get hung up on the vanity metrics. I need to get is, my posting is, game together. Well, I hear you in that one is most people lurk. So you, I love that you use the word impression. That doesn't mean they have to follow or like your comment. The likes and follows and the engagement is brilliant, by the way, and that the algorithms eat it up and they get more reach. But most people lurk. They will watch your content nonstop. And once they then call you up and you'll say, hey, I love you on LinkedIn. You're like, I've never heard of you before because they've never commented, but they're watching your content. And yeah. that's how I got into LinkedIn. When I was at my last gig where I was the chief revenue officer, I was competing against two larger companies that raised hundreds and hundreds of million in VC uh, money and were out, they could outspend me without batting an eye um, yeah. on like, you know, branded paid, you know, campaigns. So how could I compete with that? It was LinkedIn. We just went all in on LinkedIn and we got so many inbound leads and that's how we kicked the ass. I mean, ultimately they're still worth a lot more money, but we did well for having no money. <laughs> you held your own at least, right? We held our own. Cool. Well, time is flying, man. But um, I'm curious with Agora, what are some of your biggest, or Agora Pulse rather, um, what are some of your biggest challenges that you guys are facing right now? Oh, okay. No problem there. So the transition to outbound is a pain in the ass that you wouldn't believe. I've done this multiple times. We actually had a conversation on this the other day. And under the sales community I'm involved in, and everybody who's done it will just shake their head and go, shoot me now, um, because it's a completely different skill set. So you often end up overhauling your complete sales team. It also changes how your marketing qualifies, hence why we're building an SDR team now. So the challenge we're having is building the tech stack and getting an outbound team and an outbound uh, motion that's effectively working. That's the biggest challenge we're having at a grow pulse rate now. We've had fantastic success. The other part we had a big challenge on was the whole buyer's journey, which we addressed in the last six months. But it was a painful process about, you know, especially when we were relying upon a lot of free trials. You know, what are all the touch points in the free trial? Are they converting? When do you send a communication? When do you not send a communication? At what point, you know, there, there were points we had where marketing was nurturing them as part of a free trial signup process, but sales was also trying to get a hold of them, but then they were getting in-app notifications and it was nuts. We were overwhelming them. We were spamming them with messages and none of us realized that because individually we're working in silos thinking we're doing the best thing going. So understanding the buyer's journey and then making the transition to an outbound process is is a bitch. And that's what we're going through right now. I don't think it's different for anybody else who's gone through that. Uh, the last thing that's challenging Agora Pulse these days, candidly, I talked a little bit about sales. You're seeing a bit of a sales theme here is uh, simply capacity because we have so many leads. We literally have more leads than we have sales reps capacity to handle all the leads, which is a good thing for Best the marketers. Problem ever, right? <laughs> Best problem ever. But it's a bad thing from company revenues, right? Remember, we opened up this conversation by saying, what are the company goals? And you are all tied to that. So it's part of that is changing a culture. When you're an inbound organization, 
you have a culture, a mindset of taking orders. But when you shift to outbound, it's it says, no, no, now I'm going to chase opportunities I think are fit my ICP. And by the way, I need like, say, 30% of my schedule to be free to chase those accounts. The other seven, you know, the other maybe 30% I'll use to follow up on marketing leads and the other, you know, percentage I'll use to do, you know, admin and follow up on active deals. So we have so much lead volume that there's no ability for the sales team to physically go outbound to chase that I sweet, sweet, sweet ICP that we so want because they churn less and they have a bigger ACV. So it's just expanding the capacity of the sales team, but then you have to shift and change the culture of the company and the expectations and teach people that, yes, you never did this before, but now you need to do it. And they're going, why? We were just fine before. So culture, back to culture, changing culture to adapt. But yeah, these are all so good you have So your have. salespeople are more like farmers right now and you need them to be more like hunters. Correct. But yeah. to be like hunters, we need to give them enough bandwidth so they're not overwhelmed farming. So, but isn't it a self-service thing? Like, wouldn't the or can't customers basically or can't they people can. become customers? Or is it so? Like that's that? a no. That's a great question. This goes back to the buyer's journey. I'll walk you through it in like thirty seconds, nice and simple. So, yes, it's hundred percent self-serve if you sign up for a free trial. If you say contact me or you say I want a demo, boom, that's going to go to an, to an account executive. Here's the issue though, on even on, a, on a, a demo request or a free trial, self-serve free trial, we have put logic in place as part of a revamped buyer's journey to based on a high volume of, of data to, to be able to make a fairly accurate prediction based on a lot of attributes that prospect has, industry, title, that kind of stuff, yeah. on, on what their plan, if they become a customer, they'll probably become a customer in this plan paying this much a month. And then we use that logic to say, if it's, you know, I'll use, I'll make up numbers. If it's between 300 and 600, you know, MRR a month, I'll send that to my SMB team, sales team. If it's between 600 yep. and or higher, I'll send that to my enterprise team. But what if it's less than 300? Right now, we just let them self-serve. Now my SDR team will be jumping in there taking those leads. Mm-hmm. It's it, there is a lot of logic in that. So even though they self-serve, you want the reps to follow up on that because what happens when they self-serve is they they sign up for one or two seats to start to kick the tires. Whereas if a rep gets involved, they do a formal discovery process now and they realize the opportunity is bigger. Then they start multi-threading the account and get more stakeholders involved. And that $400 a month opportunity becomes a $1,000 a month opportunity because they expanded the scope. So while it's self-serve, you actually want the reps involved so you can increase the deal size. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I imagine you probably have like some complex deals too, like a large company, for instance, that ha- you know wants they, to know yeah. everything about your data processing practices. Where is it stored? Thing, yeah. Do you comply with the Patriot Act? Yeah. Are you PCI? Yeah. We, oh, with your compliance rules, all that wonderful stuff. Yeah. We absolutely have that. And especially That's in social brilliant. media, they, they okay. worry about hacking. Well, well, it is a it is a hairy problem, or the challenges are both hairy challenges, but great challenge. Like it sounds like some of the best challenges ever. Like having more leads than you know what to do with. That's always an amazing position. So I love it, man. Um, this has been really, really awesome. Let's wind up or or wind down here because I want to be sensitive to your time. Uh, and I have a feeling that if we don't wind up, we're going to end up going. Keep much on going. Further. But uh, so let's do the lightning round questions. Top three questions. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Go. Drum roll, please. If you were to start a side hustle, what would that side hustle be? I would be a video host for everybody else's crappy live streams and webinars. Nice. That's a good one. I've not heard that one. Number two is top three authors or books or influencers that have made an impact on you from a marketing perspective? Oh, my marketing perspective. Sangram Vajray, good friend, has become a good friend. Uh, all about ABM and now go to market. Uh, Dan Disney, uh, rock star LinkedIn guy who's incredibly polite and British. Uh, <laughs> number three, uh, oh my gosh, we kind of have a tie between uh, Blue Ocean Strategy and Crossing the Chasm. I'm dating myself for many of you folks out there. 
But the idea of understanding the buyer's journey and the idea of going to the blue ocean versus the red ocean, both have been incredibly impactful and just come back over and over again. And uh, from good to great, another one, those are my top three, uh, just the whole idea of the flywheel. I'll shut up. Nice. That was, that was really good. Um, I'll check out Dan Disney for sure. Um, and then number three is what do you do to avoid burnout and to help your team avoid burnout? Uh, I have learned because I have burned out. In fact, I was guilty of having a nervous breakdown in my early 30s because I was stupid and didn't avoid the breakout. And uh, long story short, I went and got some counseling and they asked me a stupid question. And the question was this, Daryl, you have a homework assignment write your obituary. And I wrote my obituary and I realized that nowhere in my obituary did I say I worked really freaking hard. So changed my process and I still work hard now, but I recognize my own symptoms. I'm tired. I'm grumpy. I'm short. I need a break. And I just proactively do that. And I say, that's it. I work hard, but I recognize my own well-being, and I coach my own staff nonstop to do the exact same thing. And if they don't do it, then I physically force them to take a day off and they don't have a choice in it. Love that. Write your own eulogy. That's probably a pretty powerful uh, exercise. I like that. I'm sure they taught that in day one of psych school, but you know, it's one of those things when you do it, you're like, you know, he was a great father. He was loved. He was, you know, whatever. Nowhere in that it say he worked really hard. He increased the MRR from X to Y. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Daryl, this has been an awesome episode, man. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you learned something or if you laughed a little bit, why not uh, grab the link to uh, wherever you're watching this, share it with a friend, um, leave a like or a comment. We'll do our best to respond. And um, Daryl, if folks want to learn more about you or Agora Pulse, where would you direct them? Oh, well, for Agora Pulse, it's nice and easy. It's just agorapulse.com. By the way, if you're wondering, everybody always asks, Agora, it's Greek. That's kind of like the central square where people used to go and hang out and talk about life. Pulse, social media. Now you know the story of the naming. Um, LinkedIn, best way to find me, darylprail.com. Uh, darylprail.com website, but LinkedIn. Just go to LinkedIn. Uh, I'm responsive. Uh, don't call me. I will never answer it. Uh, email me. Make your subject line really killer, or I'm going to delete it. So there nice. you go. I've just been gut, gut-wrenchingly honest. Love it. Well, Daryl, hang on the line just one minute, um, and we will see you next week, everybody. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 